Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and we are in a season, season 18, of talking about sabbatical. We're continuing to talk about the book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, but the second half of the book is about sabbatical, when Sabbath isn't enough. Today, we're talking about the fact that sabbatical is more than a vacation. I think sometimes there really is a misconception that sabbatical is just a long vacation, and that is a misconception because sabbatical is actually a different kind of work. David Alves says that it's a different kind of work. It's a directed time of refreshment and restoration. It's a time for drawing closer and listening more carefully with the intent of deeper intimacy with God. And so we bring a different kind of intention. So a sabbatical season might include a vacation or two, and it should, but it's not primarily a vacation. It's a different kind of intention that we're bringing to deep levels of rest and restoration, because the truth is that our vacations are not always deeply restorative, especially if your vacation is taken with your family and you have young children or teenagers that you're trying to manage or you're seeing lots of family or whatever. It's fun. And it might be bring a mental break to you, but it's not the deep levels of spiritual restoration, physical restoration, taking care of oneself, taking care of one's health, reading, learning, doing the things that one needs to do in order to truly be replenished at the soul level. And so in this episode, I'm just thrilled to be talking about sabbatical as more than a vacation and to talk about how we can plan meaningfully for our sabbatical seasons. And to do that, I'm going to be talking with Pastor B.J. Woodworth and Anglican priest Christine Lee about their experiences with sabbatical. And first, we're going to hear from Christine Lee about how she discerned what was most important for her sabbatical and how she responded when her plan for sabbatical coincided with a challenging season for her congregation that kind of surprised her and that she wasn't prepared for. It's a great story. Uh, You may remember Christine from our Sabbath season last fall, but let me remind you of who she is. Christine Lee is the priest in charge of St. Peter's Chelsea, an Episcopal church in New York City. Uh, She's married to Jimmy Lee, who's a really important person in Transforming Center. He has also served in significant ways in our community. They've been married for 19 years. And before she came to St. Peter's, she was vicar of All Angels Church in the Diocese of New York. And she was actually sent to St. Peter's with a team as part of a church revitalization effort. And you're going to hear in my conversation with her how it was kind of clunky getting away for her sabbatical when some new things happened that threw up some obstacles. But I think that's why her story is important is because I think many of us will experience obstacles when it comes to having a sabbatical and we need to be able to discern our way through these obstacles. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Christine Lee, priest in charge at St. Peter's Chelsea in New York City. So, Christine, I understand that you've been given the gift of sabbatical in your life in ministry as a clergy person. And I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience. How far into your life in ministry were you when you finally got, when you got a sabbatical? Uh, How did that come about for you? How did you plan for it? What did you do? Just anything that you'd like to share with us about your sabbatical experience as part of your Sabbath rhythm? Because I, I, as you know, I really do believe that sabbatical is just an extension of our Sabbath practice and our Sabbath pattern. Yeah, so in the Episcopal Church, at least in our diocese, we have sabbatical guidelines, which, like I think a lot of denominations and churches, every seven years um, that the clergy are are supported in their desire to go on on sabbatical. So I um, knew that, I guess it was 2019, I'd started um, in an ordained 
clergy role at my church, All Angels, um, in 2012. So I knew that the summer 2019, um, I would be due a sabbatical. And at the same time, my husband, Jimmy, had also started his new role at his organization um, that same year. So we saw that we had this rare opportunity in 2019 to be able to take sabbatical together. So that's, I think, where the seed of it was first um, was first planted. But I would say the road to my sabbatical was a little bit uh, fraught. Mm. Um, <laughs> so one was, um, I guess, about two or three years before my sabbatical, our church went, was essentially plunged into a season of real crisis. And our rector uh, left very suddenly under in extremely painful, complicated um, circumstances. And I suddenly had to lead our congregation through this season of, of grief and anger and pain and uncertainty, actually, about our church's future. That was one factor. Another was that in the aftermath of all of that, uh, we had an interim pastor who came in, and then our church was calling a new rector in that same time. And then I was also discerning a call around whether I should plant a church or help provide, help join our, our diocese in this revitalization. So there was a lot that was leading up to that time. And when the rubber met the road and we had to start actually making plans, like, is this sabbatical going to happen or not? There was sort of mixed feelings about me taking sabbatical, both internally as well as externally. So you're saying that your sabbatical time had already been established and then the crisis happened? Yes. Is that what caused yeah. people to? Yeah. Be uncertain as to whether you should go. That's okay. right. But I should say, too, that the sabbatical was in my letter of agreement. But I feel like most yes. of the time it's it's almost like this forgotten thing that's buried in a bunch yes. of in the past. Mm-hmm. And so had it not been for the fact that Jimmy and I were seeing a unique opportunity for us to sabbatical together that particular summer, I probably would have forgotten about it myself, to be yeah. honest. So there was there was mixed feelings about it, um, both within myself and I think for, for some um, of our leadership, because as it was becoming increasingly clear that as the new rector came on, that I was going to transition off of staff um, with the full blessing of the community. So our rector was arriving in May. The proposed sabbatical would have been June to August. And then I would have been starting at my new church in October Mm -hmm. and um, coming back just for one month. And um, so there was a feeling of, well, well, Christine should be here to support our new rector in this transition. He's going to need orienting. I'm the one who's been there the longest. So there was you know, kind of pressure on that side of things. Um, but then too, typically on a sabbatical, you after you take your sabbatical, you come back to the community that you left. And um, I wouldn't be coming back. I would be coming just for that one month and then leaving. So there was, so I, I, I felt guilty about taking a sabbatical. I could see, yeah. um, see the, the need for my presence or perceived need for my presence. And thankfully there were like two things that sort of like finally made it actually happen. One was Jimmy and I had a long talk about, all right, so what's non-negotiable here? And what we decided, what was what was non-negotiable is that he and I needed to Sabbath together. So then mm. if that meant that then I just needed to leave and step down early, it wouldn't be a sabbatical supported by the church, but just that he and I would definitely do this together. So I think once that became clear, I felt a little bit more free. Um, so that was one thing. But then the second thing was, um, well, I think there were some voices that were not 
totally enthused about me taking a sabbatical, that overall, um, the leadership of my church was really supportive and they really wanted me to have this gift. And I feel really grateful to them, especially since I wasn't going to be returning. Yeah, I felt just really grateful that they gave that gift to me. Mm. You know, I'm so grateful for your story because you might have noticed in the book, I talk about the fact that there is no perfect time for a sabbatical. <laughs> There's only an impossible time right. and a slightly better time. Right. And I just love what you said uh, because it's so true. Yeah. And I, I, I would imagine that there are many, many people who get a sabbatical on their calendar and then something comes in yeah. to make it less than ideal. Right. And so even the discussion around pressing through and still staying rooted and grounded in the invitation mm -hmm. to sabbatical and being really careful about not letting that get interrupted if that has been put on the calendar prayerfully and discerningly. Yeah. Oh man, I, I really love that. Yeah. I just love that part of your story that you are saying as well, that it's not easy mm -hmm. even when it's, I mean, I love the fact that it's in your letter of agreement. To me, that's a really important aspect of uh, embedding the sabbatical practice mm -hmm. um, into a community's life is to put it in the letter of agreement or the call papers or whatever mm -hmm. for the person coming. So it's there. Cause how powerful was that for yeah. you? Yeah. That it was there, right. that you might've kicked it to the curb yeah. if it wasn't a part of your agreement yeah. and how significant that is. Yeah. Right. So I really thank you for giving us a picture of that reality that there's never a perfect time for sabbatical. Yeah. There's only an impossible time and a slightly better time. <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, what you're, what you're saying about trust, um, yeah. as you're talking about Sabbath and sabbatical, I mean, this is really why I think that Sabbath and sabbatical, that's where the rubber really meets the road. Because yeah. I think for me in, in that moment, it was, okay, trusting that, okay, yes, out of probably all the staff people, I was probably the best position to help our new rector get oriented yes. and supported. Mm -hmm. So, but can I trust that, can I trust, that if I'm can not there, that he's going to be okay, <laughs> you yes. know, and then I think, in, and that maybe God could handle yeah. it, you know, maybe God <laughs> maybe. would make yeah. a way for him. <laughs> maybe. <Yeah. laughs> I don't yeah. know though, Christine or God, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. a toss up. <laughs> yeah. But on the flip side of that, yeah. you know, cause I, I had that on one side and then also embarking on this new endeavor as well, because I was going to be starting um, this new project at St. Peter's. And this is the time when I should be ramping up. I needed to be like bringing my team together. I need to be fundraising. I need to be casting vision. Mm -hmm. And it was really because that sabbatical was on the calendar that I actually couldn't do any of that. And so even leaving mm -hmm. for sabbatical, I didn't have, I wasn't exactly sure who was coming with me. I wasn't exactly sure how much money we had. I wasn't exactly sure what the plan was. And, wow. and so that, like, I would have never planned that for, planned it that way for my, I don't think anybody ever would starting a new endeavor like that. But I felt like, as an impossible time as it was, it was also God ordained because it forced me in this very dramatic way to have to say, okay, God, I'm about to, I'm saying goodbye to this. I'm about to embark on this new endeavor. And I just, you're inviting me to just stop and to trust yeah. you with this. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So the very same dynamic that has to do with Sabbath also applies in sabbatical, that this issue of trust is just underlying all of it. Yeah. 
Well, what's really lovely that our listeners wouldn't know about if I didn't tell them is that your husband, Jimmy, was the chair of our board here in the Transforming Center when I was granted my first sabbatical. (laughs) And his presence in that process was so lovely. I mean, he so straight ahead. We have to do it. We're going to do this. There's no no question about this. Listened so deeply and, um, you know, really was a beautiful leader in that moment for me. So isn't that great how what goes around comes around and that what we learn for ourselves, we get to give to others. And um, so I just, I I love the connection that we have through Jimmy, you know, that Jimmy has also been a means of grace in my life Mm -hmm. for for making sure that I got some of what I needed at times when I needed it. So thanks be to God for our shared journey, Christine. And thank you so much. That was a really a beautiful expression of sometimes what it takes. I would not be surprised either if the, the evil one doesn't throw up obstacles oh, yeah. to sabbaticals Absolutely. because they're so powerful for our relationship with God and how we hear from God and how God, you know, becomes the ultimate orienting reality in our lives. Once again, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me at all if the evil one is involved yeah. in throwing up the obstacles to these set apart yeah. holy times. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. uh, we'll never know all about that, yeah. but um, we need to press through. I think the yeah. bottom line is we need to press through. If we've been given the gift and mm-hmm. we're all set, it's on the calendar. Yeah. By God's grace, we need to press on through. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, you know, you're talking about Jimmy and your board supporting your sabbatical. I think because of the evil one throwing up these obstacles and there's so much that's going against us internally and externally, that being able to have as much support um, around our sabbaticals as possible. So having a leadership that's um, on the same page about that, having those sort of institutional things like letters of agreement, like you realize you need so many different kinds of reinforcements around sabbatical just to make it happen. It's completely countercultural in every single way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, thanks be to God for the gift of sabbatical and what God's given to us in our sabbatical experiences. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I just love that conversation with Christine because I think many of us are going to encounter unexpected obstacles when we plan our sabbaticals and we get right up to it and then something happens that surprises us and we need to discern our way through it. And I think that Christine's example is a marvelous inspiration for how we can discern our way through the inevitable obstacles that might come to us as we plan for these set-apart seasons. Now we're going to hear from B.J. Woodworth, who is a Presbyterian pastor at PCUSA. And BJ is the founding pastor of The Open Door in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he was there for 15 years. Currently, he is serving at East Liberty Presbyterian Church again in Pittsburgh. And um, he had a wonderful sabbatical in the midst of his life at Open Door. Um, And so he's going to share about his own experience. But the other interesting thing is that he was on the Transforming Center board when my sabbatical was granted. And so we actually walked very closely together in the planning of my own sabbatical. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that was like, too, what it was like for him to be a part of the group that granted me my sabbatical and some of the things that we processed during that time. So it's a great conversation, really, really practical. And the interesting thing about his sabbatical is that he structured his sabbatical around brewing beer, and he discovered some surprising spiritual truths in that process. And so it might be one of the most unusual sabbatical stories you will ever hear. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with B.J. Woodworth.
Well, welcome, BJ. I am so glad to be having a conversation with you about sabbatical in particular. Our listeners might want to know that you have you and I have a relationship that goes way back to transforming yes. community number nine. What year number would five. that have been? Number, number five. five. Okay. Yeah. What year would that have been? Do you that know? It's always a good question. I think it was two thousand twenty ten, maybe, maybe even oh okay. nine. It started. So yeah. yeah. So we were in that community together, and we lived out our commitments <laughs> in that mm. community and really entered into the covenant that we established together in that community. And then over time, you became someone who ministered alongside me and still does minister alongside me here in this ministry, and you've served yeah. as chair of the board for several years. And so um, we have a lot to talk about here because you have your own sabbatical experience that was included mm -hmm. in the book, and I really want to talk about your sabbatical experience because it's quite unusual, actually, to be honest. And then also because you were chair of the board when I was granted my own first sabbatical, we can talk about that in our process with yeah. that as well. So there's lots to talk about. But one of the reasons that I chose to highlight your story in the book is that it's so unconventional and creative. It was centered around brewing beer, which yes. I thought was fantastic. And so talk to us a little bit about how you knew you needed a sabbatical, how that came about in your life, and then how you put it together around this love that you have for brewing beer. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm excited to have the conversation too. And it's actually been really good to like revisit some of the writing and even my journal over the last mm -hmm. couple of days in prepping for this. And one of the things I didn't remember in terms of preparing for the sabbatical was that that was 10 years of after planting a church. Uh, mm. And so it really felt like a significant marker uh, in the life of our church that we were 10 years in to doing uh, planting a church and feeling some stability, feeling some energy around that, mm -hmm. and um, contemplative practices, retreating in particular to monastic communities has had become and still is, you know, a rejuvenating space for me. And somewhere along the way, I started brewing my own beer. And as I began to do that more and more and fall in love with the process as well as the, uh, the beautiful outcome of, of brewing beer, I, it became a contemplative practice for me. Mm -hmm. It is slow. There's a lot of uh, hurry up and wait in brewing. There's just beautiful mystical realities in the fermentation process. And so, you know, applying for a grant to help fund the sabbatical, uh, the phrase that they, they invite you to, to ponder is, what makes your heart sing? And I just, uh, I loved my brewing days, which would often happen on my Sabbath. A brew day takes, you know, seven to eight hours. So I would devote the whole day to the brewing process. And it just fell more and more and more in love with it and began to see God's activity uh, in the midst of it. I don't want to get too technical in the brewing process, but we can certainly dive into the, to the beer geekiness and the mm -hmm. brewing geekiness if we wanted to. Well, BJ, maybe say a little bit more about the overlap that you see between contemplative practices and brewing beer. Go a little further with that, because that is just so interesting, how you experience brewing as a contemplative practice that just went so well with your love of retreating and things mm -hmm. like that. And why you felt well, that would be one of the most replenishing things you could do while you were on sabbatical. Sure. Well, like historically, some of the best beers in the world are brewed by monks in Belgium mm -hmm. in particular. And that was actually the dream, was to go to Belgium and to retreat at those monasteries. Um, that didn't happen. Um, I won't go into the details as to why. 
But there's a long history of just this slow process. I mean, I'll just step you through the process. You mm -hmm. you mash grains in hot water, which makes kind of like an oatmeal reality. And those grains steep for at least 60 minutes, drawing the sugars out of the grains. And then you rinse those grains for like another hour with mm -hmm. more hot water. Again, a very slow process. And then you pull off the liquid from that, which is called wort into a kettle and you boil that for 60 minutes and you're adding hops into that addition and then you cool it down um, which probably takes another 60 minutes mm. so there's just uh, while I'm brewing in my neighbor's garage this old garage you know there's just a lot of time for quiet and reflection mm -hmm. the smells the aroma and then obviously after you cool it down you put pitch the yeast into it and then you wait for uh, the fermentation to begin. And, um, you know, fermentation is really, it's magic. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's uh, it's something that's completely out of our control. I, I love this idea that in the spiritual life, what we can do uh, is create the space for God to work. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, your, your attention to cleanliness, your attention to temperatures, your attention to ingredients... You do all the best you can to create the space and the environment for fermentation to happen. But at the end of the day, you're waiting for what uh, the creation naturally does in that process. And then, you know, way down the road, two, two, three weeks later, a month later, the amazing gift of a really good beer creates community, mm -hmm. which is such a gift. And it really the gift of the spiritual life, the gift of contemplation is that kind of outward facing reality of creating community mm -hmm. in the world. So yeah, the, these things kind of became apparent to me in the brewing process. I even love the kind of Trinitarian reality of three main ingredients in beer of barley, yeast, and hops. And when water is added to that, the three become one. Mm. Oh, um, wow. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so yeah, there's 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 just tons there. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it, you know it it gets into this idea of just the contemplation of everyday life. Yeah, uh, I think that's what I start to see the fruit of, you know, cleaning, doing dishes, doing laundry, not just hobbies, but everyday activities that we do in life become this opportunity to be to be present to the movement of the spirit, to the movement of God, um, in our everyday ordinary lives. Mm -hmm. Well, that sparks me to remember that, you know, at the end of each of our transforming community experiences, you know, nine, nine retreats, we have a celebration at the last retreat and we have the Holy Spirit and we have other kinds of spirits at that celebration and That's people right. are invited to bring something they'd like to share with the community. And you brought your home yeah. brewed beer, which was so special. And That's right. really that was the, the whole communal thing, bringing it to share in the spiritual community that you'd become a part of was very symbolic as well as yeah. a real thing you know it, it we got to enjoy That's the right. fruit of that labor with you right i remember it was a it was a belgian double mm -hmm. yeah first time i ever made it mm -hmm. wow i mean you know that's that's the fun part of it yeah. too right like at least at a home brewing level like that beer will never be created ever mm -hmm. again it was shared yeah. with a particular community for a particular time and place yeah that's right so yeah. I'm also struck by the fact, you know, as you shared the process, and I really appreciate you doing that because it helps me to understand better how contemplative it really is. But the fact that mm -hmm. it's it seems like there is just no way to rush that process. You have that's right. The, the time frames are what they have to be in order to produce 
a good beer. And I was thinking how true that is to the spiritual life that I think we want mm-hmm. to be able to rush the process sometimes. We wish it could go quicker, the process of true transformation. But it doesn't happen that way. You can't rush the process right. of transformation, even though you'd wish to and want to. The only time that's going to happen yeah. is when we see Jesus face to face. That's going to be quicker. We're promised that we will be like Jesus because we will see Jesus face to face. But that's the only time that transformation is going to happen that quickly. Here on this earth, you have to wait for it, right? You have to wait for that's that right. natural thing to take place. That reminds me I, i'll just read this little mm. piece i found this in my in my sabbatical journal today uh, as i was preparing to, to have this conversation with you and i said prayer is like brewing it is a mystery that takes intention attention purposefulness practice and a willingness to surrender to the process knowing that ultimately the results the delightful and delectable fruit that results from contemplation and fermentation are outside of my control. Mm-hmm. All I can do is create the space and conditions for the mysterious interactions to take place between me and God, between the heat, the water, the barley, the hops, the yeast, and then wait. And the mm-hmm. masters of brewing and prayer are often unaware of the depth and the richness of beauty, love, communion, tastefulness, goodness, and pleasure that is flowing out of their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, you're right. It's it's uh, it's out of our control. That's and right. It's a mystery. You create, yeah. You create the conditions, and then that mysterious thing that happens has enough space to actually happen. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. say a little bit more about how you turned that love into a sabbatical mm-hmm. plan. That's what I'd love to hear more about from you. Yeah. Well, as I was reading over. The, the process and the proposal again this week, it was it was like a 18 months before the sabbatical actually happened, which was surprising to me how long we started thinking about it. But um, it was that phrase, what makes your heart sing? And I just the love of brewing and the connection with retreating and wanting to explore centering prayer a little bit more. Um, so I proposed the idea to our personnel committee at, at that time and then spun out into uh, a team of people. So uh, if I remember correctly, we had five folks who were journeying with me to plan the sabbatical, and not only for myself, but for the church as well. And then our elders uh, approved it, and we submitted the grant, and obviously there's a grant process involved, so the structure well, for you, was super helpful. Yeah, for you there was. Yeah, yeah. I know mm-hmm. it's not true for everybody, yeah. right, mm-hmm. right, right. So, yeah, um, the church was really in, involved um, from the get-go, both in blessing it and supporting it, and then beginning to see, you know, the gift that it could be for them. And that's that's where, for me, I think going back to the ten years was is was important. Mm-hmm. Uh, I read uh, today like a comment from one of our elders back then, just saying this was an opportunity for them to really. Um, live into their own leadership. Mm-hmm. I had an associate pastor at the time too, but um, they were reflecting on how this was opportune for them 10 years into being uh, you know, a fledgling church community um, to really grow in their own leadership and their own contemplative practices mm-hmm. that were beginning to be very foundational um, to the life of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that answers your questions in terms of like getting down into the, the process. 
Yeah, well, let me, I want to say something in response to that last statement that you made, and then I want to dig into the planning just a little bit. You know, what you're describing there also is, I articulate that in the book as being an opportunity to practice the priesthood of all believers. That when the pastor Absolutely. goes away, then 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 the, the rest the, the rest of the people that are left they have to lean in to their own priesthood, um, and and that's yes. so healthy. I mean that is really really healthy for a congregation, and yep. especially in a congregation like yours where there's a founding pastor on whom everything has been built in some ways. That yes. you leaving was an opportunity for them to grow up and to mature yes. and to become priests, and I that is so thrilling to me when that's part of the vision that part of the vision yeah. of the pastor stepping aside. And Henry Nouwen would call this the ministry of absence, right? That That's right. I yeah. remember reading that chapter mm-hmm. as I prepared for my sabbatical in that book. And sometimes you have to have that kind of assurance that, yes, this is going to indeed be good for, for my people. Mm-hmm. If I step away, they will mm-hmm. grow up and grow into their own authority as as priests, in, in, you know, in, yeah. in the family of God. And I just I just love that, that you all saw it that way and that your elders actually articulated it that way. Yes, that it, yes. It, it gave us a chance to grow up. I mean, in a lot of ways, that that should be the hope mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. you know, that you work yourself out of a job. That's right. You know, that this is, uh, the, the I see my role as a pastor as equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Yeah. So sabbatical gives you a real tangible opportunity to live into those places and spaces. Yeah. So tell me, you know, you don't have to give us every detail. I mean, I have your proposal. You were so kind sure. to share it with me. And so that I based your story on the proposal that, that you shared with me. But just say in the big, broad strokes, what did the sabbatical, how did you organize the sabbatical around the love of both brewing and contemplation? You mean like the kind of like what happened. Yeah. In so did you, you go someplace yeah. to brew beer? Did you know, like, yep, how did you yep. live into that interest of yours and that delight of yours? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the sabbatical began with a retreat, as you talk about in the book, a time away mm-hmm. at the Abbey of the Genesee, mm-hmm. which is near where I grew up in upstate New York. So it's a very contemplative space, also a space where Henry Nowen spent mm-hmm. nine months and he's very much a book mentor of mine. So that's a holy and familiar place that the sabbatical um, began with for me. And then we did, we actually did a family vacation. Uh, we did three weeks in Cape Cod with all four of our kids. And we really thought, and this has been true, that this might be the last time we get to do a, a vacation like this. The age of all of my kids were in high school and one in college at the time. And I brewed a little bit while I was in Cape Cod, connected with a, a small little brewery there. And got the opportunity to do that um, but the big the big part of the brewing and contemplation was spending a week first of all in snowmass colorado uh, where thomas keating was a monk and spent a week on retreat there and then i drove down after to um, oscar blues brewing in boulder colorado and a former student of mine who i did campus ministry with he is uh, the head brewer there and so I got to spend the week brewing in their original brewery mm. every day, showing up, dumping hops in, cleaning vats, mm. a lot of grunt work, mm-hmm. chatting with the, the, the brewer there. And then I went to uh, New Mexico, where I spent a week at Christ in the Desert Monastery. And they actually have a relationship with a, a brewing company in Albuquerque called Abbey Brewing Company. So I got to see where they were growing hops for the brewery. I got to see the brewery at the monastery and then worked with a monk actually in Albuquerque who was just beginning to open their first brewery, their brew pub in Albuquerque. 
and then spent another month here at home um, building out my own brewing system and brewing probably in a month I maybe brewed like six to ten times and the fun part of that was the fruit of that last bit of brewing was a, a celebration with the with the church once I was back from sabbatical mm -hmm. so lots of brewing I was also practicing centering prayer and reading and studying mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of St. John of the Cross so the kind of the original architects of centering prayer trying to get a little bit deeper into the theology of that mm -hmm. and also I found it interesting I didn't know that you were practicing yeah. doubling up on That's your centering prayer yeah. during your sabbatical mm -hmm. yeah which is what I was doing as well yeah. um, it's it is interesting so, like, I noted that when you said it was that we were both drawn like I do encourage people to to consider whether or not there's a spiritual practice that they're more drawn to learn more and experience more deeply. And that was mine and it was yours. And that's, that's really yeah. exciting. So yeah, Ruth, thanks for asking me all those great mm -hmm. questions about my sabbatical. It's really been a gift yeah. to revisit it, to be honest with you. Tell me about, I mean, you're, you're closer to your sabbatical in terms of it happening. Yeah. And um, yeah, tell me more about your sabbatical and, uh, obviously, I had some involvement in that, serving on the board at the time. What was that planning process like for you? What was the impetus for you to get into this sabbatical? As I was reading about that and as I remember mm -hmm. that space. Um, <laughs> do you remember what a toasty little piece of toast I was at that point? <laughs> I do remember how toasty little piece of toast you were. That's right. Oh, Lord. I was going to say, we, we maybe had different realities going we on did. in our life when we entered into our sabbaticals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tell me a little bit more about, you know, what was it like both in the planning and like the anticipation mm. of that, of that sabbatical? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I do write about in the book that the way that I and we did it is not what I'd recommend in an optimal situation. Mm. And that's just the truth of it. It's kind of mm -hmm. good BJ for you and I to maybe revisit that moment together that yeah. we had not had that as a part of our, you know, community ethos. And I loved what you said mm -hmm. about the fact that when you got your sabbatical at 10 years, it felt like there was enough stability, there was enough development and growth of the organization that you could actually do it. And as you said that, it resonated with me because it did indicate that we were at a place where the Transforming Center could still go on and be run, you know, without yes. the founding leader there. And that is something to celebrate and feel very good about, that you could even envision it, you know, organizationally from a leadership standpoint at that time. And so that was thrilling. Um, you know, we probably waited too long because I think I had been in ministry in the Transforming Center 15 years, which we would not recommend. I mean, the sabbatical is supposed to happen every seven years, and I'd already been in ministry for a long time mm -hmm. before that. But I'm not going to, I, you know, I'm not going to focus on what was lacking. I'm going to focus Good. on the fact Good. that, that at, there was a moment where we all said we want and can give this as a gift yes. to Ruth. And it came, I think, you know, so moved by the depth of generosity and love towards me that was expressed and the willingness to give me this gift. Because mm -hmm. it's no small thing for the founding leader. And at that point, we had been through a tremendous crisis. So we were fragile mm -hmm. a little bit as an organization. But I was also exhausted from the crisis that we had been through, where as a board, you know, 
we came to the point of almost shutting the whole thing down. And we can, I'm just going to say that we didn't know if there was a way for us to continue. The crisis was that deep. And so, um, the leadership that was required of me through that time was bigger and more strenuous than anything I'd ever experienced in leadership before. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I was toasty. And, um, also, you know, because everyone around us knew that we had come through a season of discerning whether or not we could even continue in that way, the organization did feel fragile, but we were also at a place where the board can, could continue to function as a board if anything was needed while I was away. And, and our staff, the staff that was left after a tremendous downsizing was strong enough and capable enough to be able to hold, you know, for for three months without me. Right. So, the, and the other thing that contributed to that was my human life. And this is one of the points that I wanted to make in the book really strongly is that oftentimes it is the combination of a leader's leadership life as well as their personal life that brings them to the place of great need. And I was in a, I was in a worse position than you were when I came to sabbatical uh-huh. because your parents are both living. My parents were going through their illness and their dying and then their deaths. And that is part of what yes. I had been through in those years as well as the one who was geographically close, going with them to every doctor's appointment. And one of the things I realized after it was all over was that I had stopped going to my own doctor's appointments because I was going to so many doctor's appointments with them. There literally wasn't a way to keep my job going and stay with them in all that they were going through. And it was overlapping. You know, my parents' physical medical issues were different and they overlapped. And so I was going to so many doctor's appointments and I would go from work, from a normal day of work, uh, to stopping by their house, seeing how they were doing, and then not getting home until seven o'clock at night. And so at that point, there's nothing left to care for yourself. And it was Uh so necessary for me to stop by, especially once my mom had died and my dad was alone. There was one night when I stopped at at their house, at his house on my way home from work, and he was sitting in in his recliner chair, literally with a blanket over his head, shivering because there was sepsis mm. setting in, like he he had an infection. Wow. But if I hadn't stopped by, he would have died in the chair, like because he, he yeah. kept denying that there was anything going on. And I had to say, no, dad, we're going to the hospital right now. We're going right now. And the doctor said that if I hadn't brought him, that he would have died in the chair. So it mm. it wasn't anything I was creating. I mean, it was real. I had to live that way yes. during that time. So I did come to my sabbatical differently than you did. Right. How did that shape the sabbatical moving forward? Well, for me, that reality. Yeah, for me, it had to do with healing. Like I, I had to to take some time to rest and also to heal from the crisis that we had been through in the transforming center. I mean, when you have founded an organization and it's the thing that you birthed and then you come up to this brink of a place where you might have to be letting it go. I mean, that that is a that is almost a trauma for, you know, a leader um, in that place. And you can probably relate to that, you know, in your own yes. founding of a church that you have a different level of ownership of it than anyone else. Absolutely. So my sabbatical wasn't about just doing things that were pleasurable. My sabbatical really had to, in a very intentional way, be about healing and, and bringing myself back, you know, as a human and as a leader and, you know, grieving the losses that took place on both of those levels, both at the mm-hmm. the, the level of the Transforming Center, but also the loss of my parents and, and even what mm-hmm. I had lost in my own life, you know, through the years. Like, I, mm-hmm. I grieved the way that I um, hadn't been able to take care of myself physically during that time. I had to grieve the fact mm-hmm. that that had to be lower, on the priority list because it wasn't possible, you know? 
so and and that's what it was and and I thank God for it like when I when I write in the book that that the Transforming Center board gave me a gift that changed my life I really mean that I really mean that that gift saved me you know at a time when I needed to be saved you know so um and you were there with me in that and that's really precious to Mm. me yeah the whole board was in such a loving way yeah yeah it was an honor to give that gift to you yes thank you yeah Um, thank you real real honor yeah i'm i'm struck by this phrase that you so often use in the retreat work that we do together Mm -hmm. strategic withdrawal Mm -hmm. like that phrase is just bouncing around in my head as i'm listening to you does that capture a little bit of the space that you were in and the purpose of the sabbatical? Yes. That it was a strategic It was very strategic. Yeah, and I think we all knew that if we didn't do it, I probably wouldn't be able to last. We all knew that. Yes. Um so it was it was strategic and 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 necessary, you know, not a luxury at all. There was nothing about that that was a luxury. It was mm-hmm. necessary. Mm-hmm. So that means the other thing that was true is that we had just we had come that we had come into COVID season at that point. And so mm-hmm. as an organization, we saw that, that that we didn't even know what to do. We do retreat ministry. We do people coming to us. We don't do cameras and virtual and computers and Zoom. We just don't mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. And so we couldn't even see our way forward in ministry. And so we saw that as an organization, it would be possible with the PPP loans. And I'm going to, these are the practical things that we actually yeah. could go into a dormancy phase because of the PPP yep. loans that we got. And we got, yep. we got one. And so we, it was several weeks, it was only several weeks out where we realized, oh, this is the time where the Transforming Center won't have to function in the ways that it has needed to function. We won't need Ruth because we're not doing retreats. Um, this is our time. And so we actually grabbed it. And whereas you spent 18 right. months planning for yours, I, we spent three weeks planning for mine. Right. Right. And, Seize and the moment. Exactly. And and I can't I can't recommend that as the best way to do it, but it was what we had. And it was Carpe Diem. Yeah. We did grab it. I and mean, I am forever yeah. grateful that our board could could move on the dime like that. Mm-hmm. And make it happen. And, you know, this, I love this conversation with you because your process was so different. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm pondering as well. Yeah. And they were both extremely effective. Yeah. And so like you did your proposal, I don't even know, was it 18 months or 12 months in advance to get the grant? Yeah. I actually went back and like looked Mm. at the document and it was like my creative brainstorming document when it was 2014 and I took my sabbatical 18 months later. Yes. And I was struck by that too when I read your proposal because your proposal, you know, you had months and months of time to get ready and that meant you could schedule all sorts of travel and retreats and all that. But actually, I didn't need that. I didn't, what I needed was actually to stay home. What did you need? I needed, yeah, yeah, I needed vacation. And so that's the way we started. I needed to be with my husband and some family that were able to come and join us. But then I needed to be at home where all my resources were, where I had a spiritual director and where I had a counselor and where I could, I had a physical, I had a trainer. I, I, to get myself back physically, I actually engaged a trainer and that was in my gym, you know, and all of those things were resources that I had at home that would have been harder to put together someplace else. And, and you know, I, I'm just grateful that, if you know, maybe if I had planned for 18 months, I would have tr- planned all that other kind of thing rather than giving into the simplicity of, of human healing and 
I just, I love the fact that our two stories are so different and both are so beautiful, you know, and are, yeah. and are exactly what, what the person needed. And I hope that that models for our listeners that there is no cookie cutter approach to sabbatical at all. Yeah. The most important thing is what you desire and what you need as a leader. And that's right. And in fact, I actually encourage leaders not to get too exotic with it and think that running around for three months traveling and not sleeping in your own bed and not having your, your normal resources. For some people, that's not going to be the right thing to do. Three months of travel is not going to be right. the right thing to do. And that'll yeah. be part of the discipline is discerning what you actually need versus what seems really exotic. Yeah. How did, how did God meet you mm. in that space, Ruth? I'm struck by how tender it still is yeah. uh, as I listen to you this place of of you know toasty toast mm -hmm. as you said <laughs> you know how did how did God really meet you in this what might seem like mundane like mm -hmm. doctor's appointments and you know like what would, yeah, how did, how did, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll say it again how did God meet you in that well I think that number one I think God met me in this this experience of goodness you know, mm. that God would think to be so good to me as to give me these three months, that the board would be so good to me. My loved ones here in the Transforming Center would be so good to me as to give me this, that the staff would want this so badly for me that they would step up and say, we'll take on the extra. We'll do this. We can do that. We can do that. We'll be okay. You know, you go because we see you need this. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of love to have come in your way. Let me just tell you, that is a lot yeah. of love to have come in your way. And mm -hmm. I experienced it as pure love from God and from the people around me. So that was one thing to get loved like that. I think also, and you alluded to this too, um, the experience of, of being able to settle into one's humanity to be a human and to say, yeah, I, yeah, I can't, I can't lead anymore right now. I, I need to just be a human mm. and do what my human self needs. That is really precious. It's really precious mm. to get to just be a human um, and to, to be mm. cared for, like wrap yourself up in a blankie and just let people mm. take care of you. That was really profound for me because I'm, I'm yeah. the oldest daughter of a pastor. You're the oldest son of a pastor. But I mean, I have mm -hmm. taken care of people all my life. That's what I do is, as the oldest of everything. I call myself the mother of everything. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm the mother of everything. And mm -hmm. so to have it reversed, you know, and have the care coming my direction was, was really, really tremendous, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, God met me in the care for my soul and my psyche and my body. I just felt God so strongly with me in that saying, yes, this is so good. This is what I want for you. This is what I have for you. This is so good that you're doing this, you know? Mm. Uh, wow. And then I will also say that, you know, the Transforming Center board, David Hughes in particular, but everyone really committed finances to it, which meant that I could really line up those things because all the things that I just mentioned cost money, you know? And so to have the group be so generous with me as to want to pay for those things and to support those things was was very freeing and helpful that there were actually finances yeah. committed to this so i've told i mean i came back to you all as a board and i write it i wrote about this in the book coming back to the board and i didn't feel like i was reporting in i felt like i was coming back into the circle of my loved ones who really wanted to know how to go ruth what was it like and to be able to say really honestly to you all and I was really honest. I said I was happy every single day. 
I was happy every single day. I noticed day. the italicized version of those words yeah. in the book today. Yes, I was happy every single every day. Every single day. Every single day. And to know that, yeah, I could tell you guys that it was a little hard and sad to come back because I had been happy every single day, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I felt what a gift to say that, that you were happy every single day, mm. you know. Wow. So that's my story, and I'm sticking so, with it, BJ. So beautiful. <laughs> yeah, stick with it. I mean, that's my memory of it, Ruth, too. It's super tender for me. Yeah, because, yes. I just, I just, I wanted so badly, and I think the whole board, mm-hmm. so yeah. badly, yeah. for you to get that mm-hmm. rest, to get that time, yeah, to recuperate mm-hmm. and snuggle up in a blanket. Yeah, that's um, right. And go to your happy space mm-hmm. on the lake and mm-hmm. just recover, Yeah, you know? And be with God. What an amazing gift. Yeah. To be able to receive that. It's overwhelming, isn't mm-hmm. it? Sabbatical is, the gift of sabbatical is. is overwhelming. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I was just determined about was that I was not going to squander the gift by going outside the bounds of this resting time, you know, that I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't going to squander the gift by working and cheating on it. Uh, that this, I have yep. much less structure than you had in yours, but I did know what it was all about, <laughs> and that we were all yes. in agreement that it was for utter and complete rest. And so I wasn't about to squander that gift by, by working at all. And there yeah. was that was the right that was the good boundary for me to be held by the board and their intention mm-hmm. to say, mm-hmm. this is a time for rest and replenishment and healing, and I'm not going outside that. And that was good accountability, um, really good structure. Yep. So. Yeah. Wow, who knew where we were going to go in this conversation? This has gone into the deep waters. Wow. Yeah. Well, as this conversation winds down, we're going to enter into a moment where, BJ, I have a final question for you, and maybe you have a final question for me. And if you're interested in hearing those questions and the answers that come, head on over to patreon.com slash transforming center. Sign up to become a patron, and you'll be able to hear the one final question that BJ and I ask of each other. So as always, BJ and I are going to talk about what our soul wants to say to God at the end of this conversation. But before we head into that part of the conversation, you might have noticed that we talked a lot about the transforming community experience and how meaningful that's been to both BJ and myself as we've served together um, in these communities. And uh, BJ was in transforming community many, many years ago, and now he serves with us as part of the ministry team in our communities as they go on right now. And so I want to remind all of you that the opportunity is there for you in 2023 to consider joining Transforming Community 19. It begins in June right here in the Chicagoland area. And so if you are interested in exploring whether or not Transforming Community 19 is for you, and you can find information, all the information that you need about Transforming Community 19 by going to our website and clicking on Transforming Community. And we'll also have a link in our show notes. And now please join us as BJ and I finish up by talking about what our souls want to say to God. So BJ, what's stirring in your soul as we conclude this conversation? What does your soul want to say to God at this at this point? Yeah, the first words that just want to roll off my tongue are thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel so grateful. Um, for the past gift of sabbatical. Again, as I said, 
a bunch of times in our conversation today, even like rereading some of our goals and intentions, but that, that past experience with sabbatical feels very present mm -hmm. to me today in that space of just restfulness in God's presence. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really, I'm really grateful. So my soul wants to say thank you, God, for, in, in similar ways to what you said, just that lavishing of love um, that was poured out upon me in the sabbatical and that, dare I say, characterizes my own um, relationship with God still to this day. So, yeah, I'm really thankful. How about you, Ruth? What does your soul want to say? as we wind down our conversation together today. Those are my words too. Thank you um, to God for thinking of giving us these amazing gifts, you know, and the sense of goodness, you know, of God's goodness towards us. I don't think we always get to live so in touch with God's goodness, but the practice of Sabbath and sabbatical puts us so directly in touch with goodness and God's good intentions okay. towards us and giving us such an amazing gift. And then also, you know, given my tearfulness around, you know, the gift that was given to me during this time, I realize that it's also a way in which we express goodness to one another. Your congregation expressed yeah. goodness to you. They became a conduit of God's goodness to you. And you all as a board became a conduit of God's goodness to me, a kind of goodness that I wouldn't have yeah. experienced without you. Like if you hadn't been, if you all wow. hadn't been willing to be the conduit, I wouldn't have gotten that goodness. And you, you, you know, you became the conduit for God's goodness to me. Mm. And our staff became the conduit because they were willing to step up and do extra and be what they needed to be while I was gone. I am really stirred by the idea of goodness, God's goodness to us and ourselves mm. Mm. as being able to be conduits to each other um, for, mm. for goodness in these ways. And, and so my prayer is that um, even church elders and people like that who are listening might have a sense of stirring around how they could be conduits of God's goodness to those who are serving them so faithfully. Wow. That's rich mm -hmm. and beautiful and how timely we need mm -hmm. the church to be good That's right. to each other. Exactly. To be good to our leaders rather yeah. than just being harsh to them. That's right. And so now, friends, as you all are listening, I invite you also to go into that place where you listen for what your soul wants to say to God. And don't rush on to the, to the next thing right now. Just take a moment to pay attention to what's stirring in your soul, what you want to say to God in response, to maybe capture it in words, in a prayer, in your journal. Um, but just don't rush on. Pay attention to what your soul is saying to God right now and capture it in some way so that you don't lose it. And you can grab hold of it and do whatever God guides you to do with it. Thanks be to God. <laughs>